This is Talking Points, Ken's politics podcast. Hello and welcome to Talking Points, Kent's politics podcast. I'm your co-host Oliver Kemp and with me is the KM's political editor, Paul Francis. How are you doing, Paul? I'm good, thanks, Ollie. And the squeaking chair has made a return as well. It's back. But what isn't back is my illness. I'm feeling better. So I won't be trying to stifle coughs throughout the throughout the episode, which was, I think, pretty painful to listen and to last I, week. I've avoided eating any digestive biscuits. Yeah, or brisket, as, or we, brisket, as, uh, as, as we discussed. Um, yeah, so this week, Paul, we're talking banners, smart motorways and waving goodbye to our MEPs. Lots going on. Uh, but first off, this is a pretty historic moment. So we're approaching the Brexit deadline for the final time. I know it's difficult, yeah. it's difficult to believe that we can actually say that now. It is difficult to believe, but we are inching, inching towards the finishing line, as uh, pundits like me like to say. Mm, we're finally there. We are finally there, or we will be on Friday. And and obviously one of the uh, offsets of that is the is the fact the MEPs are out of a job. Yeah, and um, you might remember that last year we had elections that no one thought we were going to have, uh, and they were elections for MEPs to the European Parliament because we'd missed uh, other deadlines on delivering Brexit. So we've had a bunch of MEPs from the UK uh, going to Brussels and Strasbourg for the last uh, few months, uh, doing their MPs' business stuff, but they're all going to be walking away from uh, from the job on Thursday. By out of a job, what does that? I mean, where, where are these people going to go? What are they going to do? Well, uh, I've been speaking to quite a few of them in the southeast. There's ten MEPs, uh, and they cross the political spectrum. Don't forget. This is the election where the Bre- which the Brexit Party won after only being kind of around for a matter of a few months, um, and some of them are going back to their day jobs. Some of them are have got no plans at all. One of them is going to buy a puppy, and <laughs> one of them says he's going to take a holiday. So they're they're all leaving uh, with some plans or no plans at all. A puppy. That's a, a interesting plan. A puppy. Yeah, yeah, I'll keep that. Uh, the identity of the MEP who's going to buy a puppy out of the public domain for the time being. As if that's somehow going to betray their character. Yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and the interesting thing in talking to them was to, you know, to, to get them to reflect on what they thought uh, they'd achieved by uh, being an MEP, albeit for a uh, for just a few months. And it kind of varied, as you'd expected it to, to um, you know, the Conservative uh, MEP, Daniel Hannan, said that, you know, he's done and dusted. He's served 21 years in the European Parliament uh, and his his view is that his job is now done and uh, he can walk away uh, having, as he says, you know, secured what he came in for, which was to get get the UK out of the EU. I imagine for others that have only been there for a matter of months, it might be quite a difficult pill to swallow at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think um, most of the parties... Recognise that it was going to be a short-lived uh, period for them as MEPs, but they've all had to kind of you know immerse themselves in this kind of business of attending plenary sessions, being appointed to various committees, uh, hawking all their stuff from Brussels to Strasbourg, uh, which is one of the contentious uh, areas around the European Union, European Parliament spending. Uh, so they've all had to to buy into doing what MEPs are supposed to do, and now they're kind of uh, that's it. it. It's all it's all going to be over in uh, in the next few days. 
Can we expect uh, any any Paul Francis trips to Brussels at any point? Well, uh, it's a possibility. We're not sure at the moment, but uh, I mean, the, the final kind of uh, uh, sort of plenary debate is on Thursday, where there'll be a vote. Uh, this is the kind of serious side of it, I suppose, where there'll be a vote which kind of ratifies the UK's departure from the European Union. And you know, you you you're not going to have Nigel Farage uh, not getting up on his feet to uh, do a bit of grandstanding uh, after uh, his uh, long campaign to uh, deliver Brexit. So it's it's a possibility we're weighing up whether we should go or stay or go. Go or stay or, or even go. That'll or just a... watch the stream. <laughs> You'll watch the stream and comment yeah. on it. I mean, that, that sort of final, that final vote... Did anything happen there that's potentially catastrophic that changes the outcome of what's going on? Uh, fairly, no. Fairly sort of it's kind of 99.999% recurring that uh, it will all get um, signed off, barring something, you know, something major that I can't think of. Famous last words, Paul. Uh, I know, yes. You, you should always expect the unexpected, as we found out last year in politics. Exactly. Uh, and so moving on slightly, and another, another sort of connection to our our departure from from the eu this week um we talked about uh, big ben bonging last week which was a gift of a headline and now we have the battle of the banners yes the the the, the big ben bonging brexit budget oh he did it uh, five has been has been a, a counter movement by the uh, liberal democrats in the southeast the liberal democrats uh, mep anthony Hook came up with this wheeze to um, adorn the White Cliffs of Dover with a huge banner uh, declaring that uh, the UK still loved EU and the loved was obviously in a big heart. Oh. And uh, on uh, on Friday last week, he, uh, he had a kind of press uh, event whereby he kind of laid out this banner. The interesting thing was that um, it was... Only laid out on the white cliffs. It wasn't. It wasn't a banner that was put up. It was uh, unfurled and put on the ground, so um, no one could actually see it. Is that, that going to be put on the white cliffs at some well, point, or was that subject think, to safety I think measures? That's, and... that's about as far as they're they're prepared to go. And right. it, you know, I suppose you could argue that it was quite a good uh, sort of PR stunt. And it, uh, you know, the, the Conservatives were a little bit miffed. I think that the Liberal Democrats had stolen a march on 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 them over uh, the EU deadline. Uh, so they came up with a rival rival plan, which was to have a uh, a, a different slogan, a different slogan, a different slogan, uh, saying "We love the UK." Uh, right. And they, they 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 sort of said they had plans to. Uh, Sort of beam a big image of the logo on the white cliffs oh, of Dover. led by donkey style. Yes, exactly. Mm, yes. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so uh, there were kind of rival PR stunts uh, by the two parties, n- neither of which added greatly to the uh, to the uh, debate in terms of uh, what uh, what UK's future uh, is going to be like uh, outside the European Union. But you know, politicians, you know, like to get their kind of message across to the media in different ways and uh, you know it, it 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 managed to draw a fair few people up to the white cliffs of dover albeit on a damp soggy friday to see this great barrier the one one thing that i was intrigued about was that uh, they they described the banner as being the size of two large squash courts or two 
squash courts. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I don't think people go around sort of measuring things in terms of how they relate to the size of a squash court. Maybe, no. they, maybe they do. Well, in my know. in my head, I can see uh, the size of a tennis court. I can see the size of a yeah. football pitch. But a squash so court quite, is no. slightly more confusing yeah. to visualise in the mind. Yeah. It's like saying, you know, we, the comparison is always made some, something is the size of whales. You know. <laughs> We've got a new way of measurement and it's something the size of two squash courts in this yeah, case. It doesn't even sound that impressive, event. does yeah. it, to be honest? Uh, and they'd, they'd crowdfunded the, to get the money to uh, buy this banner. Yeah, it was over £5,000, wasn't it? So. Yes. Well, it's, some people are questioning whether that, they got a good deal or not because it's... Uh, you know, you can get banners made up on some certain online companies. Yeah, uh, that is quite for, a lot of money for a for, banner, yeah. which isn't even going to go even on the if, Even if it is the size of two large squash courts, if there's different size squash even if it is the size of two squash courts, it still seemed quite a, a lot of money. And then Anthony Hook was asked what he'd do with the remaining money which had been crowdfunded, and they, he... he I don't think he was expecting to be asked this because he said that they were thinking of taking it on tour... Two different what? parts of the country. Taking the banner on for tour. Taking the banner on tour. And, uh, wow, that's a tour I want to be. Want to be. Yeah, I on. mean, the the only thing is he had his name. He's got his name at the bottom of the banner, so it's. Oh, kind of, I see. So yeah, uh, it added a bit of uh, colour, I suppose, to the uh, to the, the the final countdown. Hmm. Well, you know, you're, you're, under, your, you're underwhelmed. I'm underwhelmed. Tell. Book your tickets for the uh, Anthony Not Brexit banner tour yeah. on sale now. Uh, maybe we'll do an investigation into that. Uh, Possibly. How much? How much it costs for a, a uh, banner the size of two yes. squash courts? I, you know, the immediate thought was, if this was taxpayers' money, we'd be Ooh. busy already, wouldn't we? Sort of, you know, ringing up different suppliers. Say, can you do a banner for you know a hundred quid? Um, but yes, it did strike some people as quite, quite a quite a significant sum of money for a banner. Mm. Yes. Well. And especially a banner which wasn't actually put up, but it was laid down. Yeah, maybe they should lay the uh, the projected potential projected conservative image yes. down by the side of it as well. Quite we won't have anything on the white yeah. cliffs. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, so that's the battle of the banners. Very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting stuff. Talking points. Ken's politics podcast. Smart motorways. This is something I feel like we need to talk about. Um, are they a bit dangerous? So it, it was revealed that. 38 people have been killed on the new smart motorways road scheme in the past five years across the country and now that the very expensive scheme could be changed uh, and obviously we have some smart motorway in Kent, we, don't we we, do, we have we a section of the m20 yeah, and part of right. the m25 is yeah, that right that's correct yeah so i mean what what could we see changing here what, what what's going to well i mean uh, the, the arguments about the safety of these schemes have been going on quite a long time and um, Tracy Crouch, the uh, Chatham and Aylesford MP, has been raising in Parliament uh, whenever she can the the concerns of her constituents about the uh, the safety of these schemes. You know, it's tempting to say they're kind of less safe than the uh, contraflow that was in place uh, along the M20 when uh, we were... Uh, when we had Operation Brock on standby. But, the, you know, the serious point is that, you know, for any motorist, the idea that you're travelling along a road and you break down and you would ordinarily go onto a hard shoulder and be kind of, you know, relatively safe safe in, in that respect. Now, if you break down on a smart motorway scheme, your vehicle is right in the line of traffic behind you. And a lot of the incidents and uh, unfortunate fatalities have occurred in just this just this way so there are you know it, it seems a bit mad to say people have only just started realizing there may be safety issues around this um 
but uh, it's it's now I think being accepted by the government that uh, there may be a need to review how these schemes operate, uh, and the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps is uh, apparently uh, saying that uh, he wants further assurances about um, you know mitigating measures around the smart motorway schemes that uh, will not endanger motorists' lives. But these schemes have been been being implemented slowly for years now yeah. with a lot of public money. Yes. The answer, supposedly by the government, the answer to traffic woes on some of the largest roads in the country. And now you could be looking at potentially changing that. But, but what I think might be confusing to some people is you look at this and you look at the fact that there is no hard shoulder and it seems quite clearly obvious that there will be a safety issue there. So yeah. why that? What's what's the what? Is there a government response on why not having not having a hard shoulder is okay? Well, uh, on a smart motorway, it, it, some of the early schemes had lots of um, you know CCTV cameras. Uh, I think it's the one in Birmingham that had uh, lots of kind of escape laybys in them. Not not lots, but at, you know regular intervals along the stretch of the smart motorway scheme had kind of uh, laybys which you could uh, pull into. Uh, but that's not the case in all the schemes, and I think the government is, you know, concerned that the figures that have come out do indicate that, you know, there is a real uh, concern about uh, making sure these schemes aren't endangering lives unnecessarily. But you know, this w- what the solution is to that, and you know, what improvements can be made is another matter. Which could potentially go on for a long time. Yeah, and there's huge amounts of public money being spent on these schemes. Uh, the one along the M20, I think, is ninety-two million pounds worth of money. So there's lots of taxpayers' money going onto these schemes, and the government doesn't want to be in a position where it uh, uh, is having to defend schemes that cost so much, but which ultimately are causing lots of accidents and, you know, in some cases, unfortunately, deaths. Yeah, and, and I mean, that makes the M20 even more of a hotspot. Bearing in mind, we, we've talked numerous times on this podcast about Operation Brock and yes. it being now removed and uh, and then what potentially could come with that if they decide that smart motorways need a rethink. That's that's a hell of a lot of work on one road, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't bear thinking about that, does it? <laughs> Operation, Brock, to work, gonna get a lot Operation Brock and smart motorway, yes, it's, it's not a good... Uh... Not a good proposition, is it? No, no. I guess we'll we'll keep on following that one and, and see the developments that come up. Um, I mean, the other the other story that I think is is worth us talking about, which is again is a transport story. Uh, so a heavy week of transport I know, news, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's been a week where a lot of the national conversation has been focused on whether the rail network in the north, so HS2, should still go ahead, yeah. bearing in mind the potential effects to communities that could happen. You, the, building an infrastructure for such a large railway scheme is gonna is gonna change things, change the map in some ways of certain areas of the country. Um, Ashford MP has spoken out against our more local rail network, which is HS1, which has obviously been around for a, for a very long time. Tell us a bit about that, Paul. Yeah, well, uh, as you say, uh, there's been a big debate going on about high-speed 2, but the, the, the focus in Kent has always been high-speed 1, and uh, the Ashford MP, Damien Green, uh, raised the issue of high-speed 1 service in the Commons last week, and his point actually was that, not that the service was bad, but the service was good, and perhaps was too good because so many people wanted to use it. It was leading to overcrowded trains. And uh, when you factor in the the cost, uh, the eye-wateringly high cost of uh, commuter season tickets from Ashford and other parts of Kent, uh, 
it, there comes a point where customers might not feel that they're getting particular value for money. So uh, the Ashford MP, Damon Green, alongside uh, a handful of other Kent MPs, uh, had a debate in Westminster about uh, about this. And uh, I, I don't know how quite how he got to these figures, but uh, to underline the uh, concerns about overcrowding, uh, he'd extrapolated some data which suggested that, uh, I think it was in the next five years or so, the capacity would be so overloaded that actually uh, you wouldn't be, some people wouldn't be able to get on a kind of... Uh, a commuter train during the kind of uh, commuter rush hours to and from London. So uh, he's advocating more investment in rolling stock. Uh, I rolling stock, oh no. I was going to say, hold on, jargon jo- bell. Uh, jargon alert, Compo- yeah. What does that mean? Uh, ca- change of more carriages, basically. Ah, okay. But and do you know what? It's funny. I, I saw I saw some, some, some articles about it and I saw the phrase rolling stock and thought I need to bring that one up with Paul. Yeah, well, there you go. Have a discussion about what rolling <laughs> stock actually means. I've fallen into the elephant trap of using oh, jargon. Oh, no. So, yeah. Um, so, but, I mean, the difficulty for the government is that they're in the middle uh, or they're awaiting the publication of this review called the Williams Review, which is going to effectively say the current franchising model for running uh, railways, rail services in the UK is busted, basically, and a, an alternative is needed. Uh, and it was interesting to hear the Transport Minister, Chris Heaton-Harris, who was you know, responding to the MP's concerns about overcrowding, saying that uh, it was a very timely intervention. When, when ministers say it's a very timely intervention, they're, they're probably uh, playing for a bit of time themselves. But... Uh, he was saying we'll have to wait for the Williams review to come out before you know deciding which way to go in terms of a different model. Now I don't think the government is going to buy into uh, Labour's position on uh, renationalisation, uh, but it, you know privatisation is is not always seen as a good thing. So I think the the government is going to have a bit of a problem coming up with a kind of proposition for running the rail services in Kent, which is uh, going to kind of sort of fall between those two stools in terms of not being privatised but not being nationalised either. Yeah, this is I mean, what's something I wanted to ask you based around this question. You know, that is so against the, the, the current government's position ideologically is you know to, to go and nationalize uh, like a rail franchise so that that would be a, a massive deal t- to take it to that route but you know there must come a point where you think what else can we do can we further privatize or, or we're going to see increased fares we're going to see yeah in, you know, um well i mean I, I think the issue in relation to overcrowding goes directly to this uh, dilemma that the government's got you know uh, does it want to kind of introduce some form of kind of additional state aid for the railways um that you know will enable would-be operators to put on more trains with more carriages, because that really is the issue in in Kent for the high-speed one service, uh, and do it in a way which doesn't look like it's it's renationalising the whole whole network. So it's a it's a wait and see uh, situation, I think, on this front. Yeah. Uh, although not waiting quite as long as some people do for their <laughs> trains to arrive. Yeah, we'll definitely follow that one with interest and and see how the current government are going to either step over that one or, as you say, repackage it to, yeah. to, to not I mean, seem I, like it's... Uh, I think the fact they've got the Williams over. review coming out uh, in, in the near, not too distant future, it, it, they're using that as a kind of say, well, well, we'll have to wait to find out what the Williams review says about franchising. But franchising has been around for quite a long time now and maybe it is time for a fresh look at it. Set your alarms for the Williams franchise release. Yes. That's what I say, guys. 
Um, so one more thing, which we do every single week, is Paul's jargon of the week. And this week, it's a phrase, because he can't stick to the jargon word idea. Um, not as bad as a sentence, There's nothing wrong with a jargon phrase. No, so sure, but we, I well, mean, we should have just never called it jargon word of the week, because it's very rarely a single word. Yeah. Um, this week is just transition. Just transition, yeah, we were talking earlier about this. It sounds like some prog rock uh, concept album maybe or even a band called just transition mm, so it's an old genesis b-side yes. yeah um but it's uh you know it's t- it's timely as ministers would say uh because it's it's taken from something which the uh meps have agreed in uh, the european parliament uh, and that is uh to do with the um the, the sort of t- tackling the climate uh, change crisis and the uh environmental uh focus uh and one of the problems that MEPs have sort of brought up is the fact that um, when the fossil-based fuel industries kind of uh, decline, shrink to make way for more kind of renewable energy sources, there will un- undoubtedly be lots of people losing their jobs, unfortunately. Uh, and so MEPs have pushed through a plan for uh, a scheme which allows uh, those sectors who will shrink uh, to offer some kind of cushion of support, financial support for em- employees who, you know, through no fault of their own, are, are kind of, you know, out of work as a result of the shift towards renewable en- energy sources. So it's quite a quite a topical and, to be fair, quite a serious issue. Yeah, it's not it's not light and fluffy for... Uh, no, it's not, not light really, and fluffy, no. no. So we, we, we'll throw in the odd serious uh, jargon phrase and that, that comes under that category. But, uh, but just as in sort of morally just then? It's just that well, these people yeah. are required, you know, need, need to, yes, to be helped? Yes, I think it, it does. It has a kind of got a, a moral kind of underpinning, you know. It's, it's not, it's, not it's, it's just this or just that. It's just, you know, it's a just scheme, you know, and we... And uh, one of the MEPs I was talking to uh, from the South East said, you know, it was something which should have been done when the kind of mining industry in the UK went into decline uh, and they've learned from the mistakes made at that time when kind of industry was just left to wither on the vine. Uh, And, you know, obviously everyone knows that, you know, the climate crisis is top of the kind of agenda, so we are going to see a decline in those kind of other forms of... uh, uh, energy production. Mm. Well, now if you see just transition, you're gonna gonna know what it means. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to Talking Points once again. Uh, I'm Oliver Kemp. This has been Paul Francis, and we will see you all next week. Bye bye. Talking Points, Kent's politics podcast.